Well, it's good to be with you this morning as we worship together through song and through reading God's Word. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, we'd love to get to meet you. There's always folks down here after the service, and if you would just come up, introduce yourself, let us know how you found out about the church. We would love that opportunity to do that. Well, I've been doing a lot of packing recently. My daughter went back to college yesterday. We dropped her off, so there was packing to do that. We're actually in the process of moving, not out of state. This is a a planned move. Always wanted to get closer to work. And so I've been uh, packing a lot. And it seems like, you know, if you've ever done that, people have done this, oh yeah, I remember that routine. But everything seems to have a story, and it's either going to go in a box, go to Goodwill, or um, bring it by the landfill. But each thing I pick up, I'm remembering things. And so I saw a, a thing that we used to use with our dog, Sandy, is a training collar. Now, some of you may know it as a shock, a shock collar. I tried not to say that, as you can tell. And before you send me emails and all that, make visits, want to talk to a pastor, listen, this thing's pet safe, vet recommended, okay? Yes, all right. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I came across this um, training collar. And if you haven't seen one, it has uh, you know, the collar for the dog and a, a remote for the trainer or the owner. And the way it's supposed to work is that um, with our dog Sandy, when she was doing something that we wanted to curb the behavior, then when she started to do that, like wanting to go on the couch, then I would dispense a gentle pulse. Shock, okay, gentle pulse. And that would work against her. And, it, and if I needed to do a little bit more, increase the training vibration, and, and, and she would realize that she was fighting against something, and eventually she would just give up. She would stop all thoughts of getting freedom on that couch over there. And this thing used to work so well. I mean, it worked well. It got to the point where I didn't even have to put the collar on her. I would get the collar, and I would act like I was putting it on her neck, but I'd put it actually on the table behind her, and she would think it's on. I'd put a T-bone steak on the, on the floor in the kitchen, and she would walk right by it. I'm lying. <laughs> She's a golden retriever, so you know she was going to say, well, that's worth it. Whatever you're going to do to me, that's worth it. But for the most part... Her experiences had shaped her to believe that she was not free, even though the collar was not on her. And many of us can relate to Sandy. We think we're never going to break free from something. Or perhaps we will break free someday, we just don't know how it's going to be done. Or... We thought we broke free only to be living as if we are still bound up. Is freedom even possible, we think? How would I even go about freedom? And if I found it, what would I do with it? Tried many things and maybe accepted that it's just not possible. When in reality, maybe that freedom that we seek and that we're looking for 
is right there in front of us. Well, we're going to look at a guy today who's the opposite of free. He is totally controlled. He is held back. He's actually demon-possessed. And we're going to look at his story because he has an encounter with Jesus that changes everything for him and for many of the people that were around him. So as we jump into this story, I do want to get Bibles in your hands. So ushers, if you could come down right now, they have Bibles. And if you do not have one, just signal to them. They would be glad to give you one. It's yours to keep. If you do not have a Bible, we'd love for you to go home with that. Um, Otherwise, you can use it and just return it on your way out. But we're going to continue in the series. We've been, well, actually, this is the last message in the series, Summer at the Lake. And what we've been doing is just taking, looking at glimpses of Jesus's ministry around the Sea of Galilee, around that lake. And so what I wanted to do as we kick off here, I want to kind of say, where have we been? Where are some of the places we've been? So there's a map up on the screen And we spent a lot of time in Capernaum. Uh, We had a couple messages on that. We had Jairus with his dying daughter. We had the paralyzed guy with his friends. Uh, His friends brought him there. That was up in Capernaum. Uh, What else did we have there? The hidden treasure was there. Uh, The woman who was bleeding for 12 years. All that. We spent some time up in Capernaum. We went over to Bethsaida where Jesus fed 5,000, at least 5,000 people. He actually continued his ministry, if you will, on the lake. Because if you remember, he sent his disciples out on the water and then had a little ministry, a little teaching time with them out on the water. And then uh, last week, we were over in Gennesaret where the Sermon on the Mount was. And so we looked at one of the things there. And today, we're going to kind of be clear over on the southeast side in Gadara uh, for our story today about this demon-possessed man. Luke 8 is where we're going to look at the story, but I need you to write down Matthew 8 and Mark 5. Because between those three accounts, we're going to get a lot of the details. Because as I share, you're going to be like, I just read that and I don't see where you got that. We'll go to Matthew 8, go to Mark 5, and it will fill in the blanks there. So let's jump in. Verse 26 of Luke 8. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. Where were they before? Remember, they had this long day of teaching. Jesus had this long day of teaching. He jumps out in the boat, gets out over the lake. He's tired. He falls asleep. Big storm comes in. Disciples get scared. They wake up Jesus, tell him to do something. He silences the weather, and the disciples are like, their adrenaline's running high. They're wondering, who is this guy at the same time? So they're, they think he's awesome, but they're scared as well. And so they pull up on this southeast shore, and they pull up on a beach near a cemetery and a pig farm. You got it? It's very picturesque. We live in North Carolina. You got the smell of the pig farm? I'll give you a second. But it's not, it's not good. But the disciples are in a strange place. They are tired. They are wet. And we read in verse 27, as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside of the town. When we look at Mark, he gives us a little bit more details of the welcoming committee here. 
This guy is a violent man. He's been yelling at people, foaming at the mouth, cutting himself with stones, and so he's bleeding. It says here he's naked. And when a naked man comes running up to you, you don't ask questions. For me, I'd turn around and get right back in the boat. But this guy is running towards him, towards Jesus. And this scene right here for me is like when you're watching a scary movie and somebody's stepping in a place where you don't want them to go and you're like, oh, don't do it. Get out of there. Oh, hey, hey, don't. Oh. That's the way I feel as I'm reading this account right here. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. What I find interesting here is nobody could restrain this guy, yet he voluntarily runs up to Jesus and gets on his knees. Nobody but Jesus could restrain him here. Maybe he recognizes, maybe this guy recognizes who Jesus is. Maybe it's the demons who recognize who he is. But I sit back and I got questions on this account. I mean, I look at it and I go, how freaked out are the disciples, right? Are they as freaked out as me as I'm reading this story? How did this guy get here? How did this guy get to the point in his life where everything was out of control? We, we don't have that in this account. Like we read, and, and those are one of the pieces we don't have. We don't know what, where he's been, but this man has a problem in life. And it's led him to the point where he no longer has control. Nobody can be around him. He's living in lonely places and he's a slave to his situation here. And he comes and he approaches Jesus. This, this naked man cut approaches Jesus. I've had some strange people come up to me and talk to me after the service. But if he came up to me, see that exit sign right over there? That's probably where I'd be. But look at Jesus. He, he plays it so cool. Jesus demanded, what's your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drown. It's said that demons are kind of like middle school boys. They don't think through their actions. They just destroy things. You see these, these demons. Anyway, um, <laughs> Jesus is having a conversation with this guy. They're kind of going back and forth. I think he's triaging the situation. What, do I, what am I working with? And he realizes I'm working a legion, a legion a unit of the Roman army at full strength, 6,000 soldiers. And it doesn't mean there's 6,000 demons 
in him, but basically they're saying, we are many. There's many of us in here, and we have a request. They said, we like it around here. We like this countryside. Don't, don't cast us out. And so Jesus sends them into the pigs, and they go off the cliff. And I read that, I wonder, Jesus didn't have to do it that way. He didn't have to heal the guy in that way. Why did he heal him in that way? He didn't need the pigs to heal him. He didn't need the pigs to send the spirits into. But Jesus seemed to be okay with following through on that. For one, I think that he did it so that people could see the power that God has over supernatural, that he is the most powerful being ever. But maybe more importantly, I think he did it so that the people around could see the dramatic change that had taken place. You see, the people around him were like, he's not the same as he was. That was clear by the noises they were hearing and the sights they were seeing. We know he wasn't faking it before. We saw him. There is a dramatic change. I think those pigs allowed the people to see this transformation that just happened, that this healing is real. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the, of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. I can picture just observing the scene of people who were there, and then they start to scatter because of what they saw. And they're running out into the town and saying, you know that guy that we tried to restrain? He ended up living by himself out in the cemetery. Remember him? You've got to come. He's different. All these people are coming and they're expecting to see chains and shackles. They don't see chains. They don't see shackles. They don't see somebody cutting themselves. But they come and they see this calm man in his right mind. No shackles, no chains. He's been healed. And you'd figure that, wow, they must be grateful. They're happy. They've, they've got to be excited and relieved, but they're not. They go to Jesus and they say, you got to go. Jesus, we saw that. We saw power like we've never seen before, nor do we want to see again. And furthermore, you ruined our business. So why don't you pack up and you leave and you leave now? They're not relieved. They're relieved when he leaves town. So what's Jesus do? So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. He went right back to where he was. He left after that long day of teaching, after heal, like calming the weather braving the storm, getting over to the other side, being presented with a welcoming committee of this violent man, heals him, gets back in the boat, and goes all the way back to the other side. I'm fascinated by that. 
I'm also thankful that Jesus is willing to do all of that for one person. I'm thankful that he's willing to consider the one. Then the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. And so we went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done. I think the man makes a reasonable request, don't you? I mean, he's like, Jesus, I believe in you. I mean, there's a change here, and I, I, I want to follow you. I want to follow these guys with you. It, it will give me a fresh start, right? Don't you think this would give this guy a fresh start? He's got to be thinking, these people have a perception. They know me. They have a perception of who I am. How will I ever change that? Let me go with you. I mean, I mean look at these cuts and all this. I, I'm never going to get a job. I'm never going to be able to date. Please, Jesus, let me go with you. And plus, hey, they saw me naked. I can't go back there. Jesus, please, let me go with you. But Jesus says No. Some of the hardest assignments we have is when we are radically changed by Jesus. And we want to move away from the ones that know us, but Jesus says, go back to the ones who know you and let them hear your story. I love this story because it's how one person was able to break free from the things that controlled him, held him hostage and bound him. Now, specifically, yeah, we're, we're talking demons, right? And I, I do want to hit pause here and talk about that for a second. And you're like, wow, I'm glad I came for the first time today, right? <laughs> but I believe that somebody today can still be possessed by demons. That if you invite yourself into certain things and you open yourself up to those things, then you're playing in a world that we don't see and it is possible to be possessed. But, and hear me, because you may have tuned out already, but there is no record in scripture of a follower of Christ who is possessed by a demon. Matter of fact, scripture says, 1 John 4, that the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. In other words, when you trust Christ to be the savior from your sins and you invite him in to lead you in your life and you even follow through in baptism, then scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit takes up residence, moves in, dwells in you, and you are a new creation, and the Holy Spirit, he begins to make you a different person. And so I hope you heard that. There is the possibility to, be, to play in this evil demon world, but for followers of Christ, we don't have to worry about being possessed. Well, most of us don't deal with demon possession. We do deal with things controlling us, attitudes, behaviors, our past experiences. 
where they never leave us alone or we think we're free only to have them come back. Have you ever felt forgiven and then you're dealing with guilt and shame? It kind of has its way of coming back into your life. And you, you struggle with this and you want to break yourself free from it. The Bible says that when we do our own thing, when we go our own way instead of the way God wants us to go, the Bible calls it sin. And I'm not saying that when you sin, you are demon-possessed. I'm not saying when you struggle with sin, you are demon-possessed. I'm just trying to get us to acknowledge and feel the reality that there is this battle, this side of heaven, that goes on even for a Christ follower. The Apostle Paul wrote much of the New Testament, one who was dramatically changed by Christ. He wrote an account and uses the slavery imagery and words that I think that you and I can connect with. This idea that there is a, a battle that's going on. Romans 7, verse 15. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. He's not saying I couldn't help myself. I'm not responsible. He's not saying the demon made me do it. He's just coming to realize that there's a bunch of stuff that you and I go through and we realize it can get control of us when, and we let sin control us. And he continues in verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I, I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does, does it. I read that and I'm like, is, is he reading my mind? Has he found one of my journals that I've been writing in as I take God's word and his truth and I'm wrestling with the reality of my life? Does... does Paul, I mean, this sounds like and feels like some of the stuff I, you can't see, but I see what's going on in me. He's saying that there's something in my life, probably your life, and we think we just can't totally kick it. I've discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I've got all these things that I want to do. And I feel like someone, something has is, is got his tentacles wrapped around me. And I, I don't like it. I don't want to do these things. What is the answer? Verse 25, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I now have the power to do what I couldn't do before. Jesus gives me the power. He's set me free from being a slave to my sin. And Paul goes on uh, in Galatians 5, he says it this way. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now he was talking to people that were wrapped up and being controlled by religious traditions and customs. He said, don't, I came for freedom from those things. And the same is true for us. It is freedom. We are not to be controlled. It is for freedom that Christ has come. Freedom is not a byproduct of what Christ has done. Freedom is what Christ has done. It's not freedom someday in heaven. It is freedom now and today. From what? From those things that hold us back, that tie us up from doing what he desires. We're broken people, complex people, mind, body, spirit, very very complex, and we struggle. This side of heaven, we're going to struggle, but by God's grace, he can lead us through to freedom. And he's not just about stopping this one bad behavior or two or three. He's more about helping us break free from those things that have us bound, about moving out of the old and into the new. So what is it? This is a question I've got to ask too. What is it in my life that I've got to invite Jesus into that little space? Certainly he could barge his way in there. But he wants my participation. What is that space? Lord, I want you to drive out that old and let me experience that new. Because with that comes freedom. And when you experience that, freedom comes and you have freedom a story. You see, when you have found freedom, you got to share your story like this man. We do this in life. You buy something, you acquire something that you like. What do you do? You run and go tell people, check this out. You get engaged. Hey, look at my ring. This is nothing different. When we have found freedom, we share our story. I think we struggle with, yeah, but how do I tell it? Where do, where do I start? Let me suggest that the very thing that God has set you free from or is in the process of setting you free from is likely the thing that's going to be part of your story. Why don't you start to think there? I think of this guy today in our story. He had visuals like he had scars. He probably had bones that were set wrong or never set at all. He had a visual reminder that probably asked, people prompted him and said, what happened to you? Which led him down to start to share his story. I don't have visual scars that are part of my story. And, and, and I got so many different stories about what God's doing in my life, you know. But I don't have visual scars, but a lot of times, you know, for me, somebody will say, you're just, you're kind of a peaceful guy. You always, you seem to want to let Christ lead you through whatever the circumstance is, which is an open door for me to say, it wasn't always that way. And you know what? It's not always that way. 
And for those that were here uh, last time, you know, I shared, you know, a lot of me is wrapped up in anxieties and fears and compulsions and OCD stuff. And, and God in his grace dealt with this complex person, mind and body and spirit, and led me through a process to freedom, but under his leadership. You see, I was something. I am now learning to and. So I don't have the visual scars, but it's even some, somebody says something, I can share a story because it's so meaningful to me. See, what God has freed you from or what you're learning to be free from has probably left some kind of mark on you. And you are to share that story. And if you can fill in two blanks, you can probably, you can probably get started on your story. I was blank. Now I am blank. It truly is that simple. There's another guy in the Bible, blind. Jesus came, put mud on his eyes, ended up being able to see. He went around telling people. People had a lot of questions for him. And he said, you know what? I don't know too much about this Jesus guy, but what I do know, I used to be blind but now I see. So how would you fill in these two blanks? I was angry, and now I found peace. I was stressed and always trying to control things, but now I'm learning to trust with things I don't have control over. I was abused, and now I'm learning that I am loved. I used to want it my way, but now it's his way. How do you fill in those two blanks? I think this, this isn't, doesn't show your superiority. You don't come, it's short and sweet. I think when people hear genuine stories personal stories, it causes them to kind of lean in and listen a little bit more to what your story is all about. This man had scars where he got to share his story. And for him, he go, hey, I used to live over there and I'm moving over there. I used to be tied up and bound and Jesus loosened and freed me up. I used to be out of control and Jesus brought me to my sane mind and I'm starting to experience what that even means. I used to hurt myself and now I'm learning to love myself. I used to be naked. Now I'm clothed. I wonder how many times this guy told this story, right? you know the punchline was the same every time. I used to be bound, but now I am free. How? Jesus. That was a story repeated and repeated. And what's fascinating about this, you know, when Jesus came over this time, they were begging him, leave, get out of here. The next time he comes over this way, they're begging him to stay and perform some miracles. And then all of a sudden, 4,000 people, more than that, show up 
to listen and hear Jesus' teaching. How do you think that happened? I believe a big part of that was that one guy who found freedom and went and shared his story. Your story is powerful. It's powerful. God may call some of you to go share your story in different places, but most likely he's going to have you share it right in place. Why? Because those people around you, they know you. They know I was blank and now I am. They know what that, uh, what you used to be like, that you are different. You are not the same. And you have the opportunity to share your story. If you found freedom, share your story. Help people connect with God. Help them seek. They're seeking this very thing of freedom. Help them connect with God and find that. We're going to close this morning our teaching through singing together. So this song may be a proclamation for you about saying, I'm not the same. And for others, it may be a prayer, a wish. Make it your prayer. And begin, whether it's talking to somebody here or checking a card or talking to a wise uh, Christ follower.